Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Listen up. Today we're going to explore the future, and the future through the lens on the other side of the world. We're looking at the future through the eyes of the restless generation. My first guest today is Zach Dykewald. He's a world traveler, writer, consultant, and public speaker. He's a lifelong fan of interesting people, big ideas, great food, science fiction, and religious meaning. He has traveled extensively throughout five continents to explore what makes people and cultures tick. And his book that we're talking about today is Young China, How the Restless Generation Will Change Their Country and the world. I also like to think, Zach, that we're looking at the future through the head, heart, and hands of the millennials. Yeah. So first, thank you so much for having me. And I think that's um I think that's a great point. So I'm I'm 27, just to put it out there. Now I'm born in 1990, and so it is very much I'm very much writing about my peer generation in China. Um, a lot of what gets written about China is typically written by older folks in the West, and we typically look at older notions of what it means to be Chinese, older preconceptions about um, what it looks like to be a family member, what it looks like to be a brother, son, uh, daughter, you know, what people hope for, what they dream of. And this young generation, because China has changed so much, so fast, uh, this young generation is radically different from the older generation. And they're already starting to define the economics, the politics, but also the spirit of new China, of young China. You are, as you said, you're a young man. You graduated from college, I think it was in 2012 from Columbia? Correct, correct. And then you headed east. Straight east, it's true. I, um, I actually studied abroad beforehand in Hong Kong. And the decision, as goofy as it sounds, was driven by science fiction. I, um, I was a big science fiction junkie growing up, and I figured I could go study in Europe and study history. 
or I could go to China and see where everyone was saying the future was happening. I went um, and loved it. And, and as I was traveling throughout mainland after leaving Hong Kong, I realized pretty early on that the China that was being described to me back home in the media, in newspapers, and then reverberating off of my friends and family who had spent a week or two you know, on vacation at the Great Wall or something like that, um, that China was, was pretty radically different than the China that I was experiencing. And I realized that a fundamental difference was the difference between old China and new China and young China. I was experiencing young China. So I decided to go back and really dive into the language. Uh, I didn't speak any Chinese beforehand. I'm now, you know, I've passed the highest level of fluency you can test for, uh, which isn't to say that I'm a native level at any, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, but I really committed to the language and I wanted to be in it. I wanted to feel the feelings, taste the tastes, um, you know, feel the heartbeat of the young generation. And I didn't think I could do that from a couple of weeks in Shanghai or even a, a boardroom in Beijing or something like that. And so you go off on an odyssey, really, in the book, it makes a very uh, personal accounting through the lives of people that you connect with as being part of this restless generation. So um, children who were born after 1990, and I think also, and correct me if I'm wrong, compounded with the fact that a lot of these um, kids are coming from single child households. Of course. So, you know, we, there's a bit to do about American millennials. I think this is like an interesting lens to sort of compare and contrast just so we can wrap our, our head around this young generation in China. I'm an American millennial. Technically, there's 80 million of us. You know, people want to know what we stand for. What are we going to buy? I get asked this almost daily. Uh, in China, there are 400 million so-called millennials, 400 million. So five times more than we have in the United States and actually more than the entire population of the U.S. and Canada combined. So just the level of impact and sort of cultural gravity that this young generation has, they redefine every, every market they touch, but they also are going to be impacting the way that we live our lives here. Um, what I tried to do is when you just look at those statistics, it looks fairly intimidating. I tried to bring the book on a very personal level. So they're macro trends, but they're told through personal representative stories of individuals spread throughout the country. And so after 1980, this young generation was a single child, you know, is a single child generation. They've grown up um, very different than the older generations in China, um, which is at the bottom of what they call a 4-2-1 family structure. It used to be in China as recently as around 1950 uh, that you had a lot of kids per family, about five or six kids per family, and not very many adults. The average life expectancy was only 36. So you didn't really age. You died. Oh, wow. China was... <laughs> It's true. There was no retirement. You just sort of kicked the bucket. China was extremely poor at the time. I think we forget, you know, we see Shanghai now and we think all of China's that way. It's been that way for centuries. For context here, when my parents were deciding whether or not to go to Woodstock in 1969, and, you know, think about what goes into that decision. I mean, there's a certain sexual openness. There's a, they have leisure time. They're able to go enjoy concerts. They're, uh, they probably have a car. Uh, my friend's parents in China were considering whether or not they had to eat tree bark during the Cultural Revolution to survive starvation, to stave off starvation. So wow. the amount of change uh, over the last several decades in China, it's really difficult for us to imagine here. One of the greatest changes is exactly what you're talking about, that um, the largest baby bust in human history, the move to a single child population. 
which comes with its own own complications, right? Because you have an aging population and not enough people to care for those who are aging. Absolutely. China's largest issue, and this youngest generation's largest issue, uh, is who will care for the old. It's not just an economic crisis. You know, it used to be China just had a lot of people doing a lot of work for cheap. That really is the story of, of the Chinese manufacturing boom at the end of the day. Um, now, this young generation, even though it's massive, it is relatively smaller than the older generation in China. And so it's an economic decision. It's an economic question. It's a political decision. It's a political question because, you know, if your economy goes tanks, then, you know, that obviously impacts politics. But it's also a spiritual consideration. It used to be in China that to be a good person was to be a good son or daughter. It's called xiaoshun. We we translate it to filial piety. It's not a very good translation because I would never say filial piety day to day. <laughs> you know, you can't, are you being filially pious right now? I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But in China, xiaoshun, that concept, it's synonymous with being a good person. And so this young generation is faced with the tremendous desire to care for their parents, coupled with an almost complete inability to do so. And that's because of the 421 problem. You have four grandparents for every two parents for every one child. Yeah, it's a big responsibility that's shouldered by these only, these only children, which many of us um, on this side of the world don't understand because we come from significantly larger families. Give us a couple exam- uh, examples of the contrast and difference between um, American millennials and Chinese millennials in terms of interests, spending habits. Um, goals, dreams, aspirations? Yeah, of course. So, so I already said scale, 80 million to 400 million. That's that one sort of, I always try to set the stage with that. But there's another one that I think is really important, and that's competitive and hardworking. Now, I'm competitive and hardworking, I, or at least I thought I was. But the project of childhood is fundamentally different in China. When I was playing video games or even doing extracurriculars or sleeping over at my friends' houses, my peers in China were studying. I, I tell a story of Bella fairly early on in the, um, early on in the book. It's a young woman who I, would, I met at the Suzhou, at the Suzhou is a city outside of Shanghai, uh, at Suzhou Library. She would spend 10 to 12 hours a day, seven days a week in the library studying. Was she texting? No. Was she on social media? No. Was she Snapchatting her friends or tweeting? No chance. She was there studying. And the wildest thing was that she was not even, she wasn't a college student. She was studying for a test that w- would allow her to get into a master's program and then allow her to study for a master's degree. So it wasn't even the course itself. It was just preparation to compete against other Chinese students for that same exact position in that master's program. The competition for a position in high school, the competition for a position in college, and then the competition for a job in the normal job market just within China, and then even something like the marriage market, you know, competition for, uh, you know, choosing a spouse is so fierce in China that there's nothing really we can compare it to here. It's a gritty generation. They call it chikul. It means to eat bitter. This young generation wow. has the idea of eating bitter and the genetics of who they are. Amazing. I, 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 
I, I, we're going to need to take a break in a minute, but I want to give you an opportunity to finish that thought because um, I, I go to the old tiger mom adage, right? But this is a tiger culture. It's not just the moms. The children themselves have this discipline and this rigor that is um, very different, perhaps, than we're used to seeing. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave people with a teaser I don't, before the break. What's so interesting about this young generation is that they're reacting to that. And so while they are gritty, they also have a tremendous desire to to live in the moment, which means that they're buying, they're purchasing, they're, they're looking to travel. Two-thirds of all passport holders in China are under the age of 35, two-thirds. And so this young generation in China is literally redefining the global travel market, what they decide to do with their free time, what they decide to do with who they are, really. You know, you could say who you are is what you think, but who you are is also what you do. It's the movies you like to watch. It's the bands you like to listen to. It's, uh, it's whether or not you like to play basketball on the weekends. Uh, this young generation is sort of defining what it means to be Chinese in the modern age from a fun and leisure point of view. The book we're talking about today is Young China, How the Restless Generation Will Change Their Country and the World by Zach Dykwald, and he's my guest, and I'm excited to continue the conversation. We're going to take that break. To learn more, please visit www.youngchinagroup.com. You can connect with Zach at, on Twitter at Zach Dykwald and on Facebook, Zach period Dykwald. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Hang on, before we take that break, I want to mention something about the power and pleasure of connectivity. If you're like me, staying connected with family members scattered across the country is a challenge. I bridge the geography gap through the magic of storytelling. We are all born storytellers. It's in our DNA. Storytelling makes us feel happy, seen, heard, and understood. StoryWorth is the easiest way to share and preserve precious memories and pass them on to future generations. Here's how it works. Purchase a subscription and StoryWorth will send someone you love a weekly email prompt that elicits entertaining, surprising, and sometimes moving responses about your relatives. Ironically, one of my recent prompts was, at what times in your life were you the happiest and why? Stories and photographs can also be uploaded to StoryWorth.com or in their app. Stories can even be recorded by calling to StoryWorth by phone. All stories are secure, confidential, and only shared with people you choose. At the end of the year, your loved one's story will be bound into a beautiful hardcover keepsake book. StoryWorth makes a meaningful and great last-minute gift any time of the year. This Mother's Day, I'm gifting an elderly aunt a subscription to StoryWorth, and I'm hoping to learn more about her childhood journey from Europe to America during World War II. And here's a great perk for listeners of Harvesting Happiness. You will receive $20 off your first order by visiting storyworth.com slash happiness. Learn more about those you love by subscribing to storyworth.com slash happiness. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? 
Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're joining us now, we are talking about the sexiest hot topic around these days, and that is Young China, how the restless generation will change their country and the world. And that is a book, a book I'm speaking about with its author, Zach Dykewald. Zach, before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, uh, the difference between Western millennials and Chinese millennials. We talked about uh, China is really one of the largest traveling populations on the planet. Let's talk about some other ways in which China is going through its own revolution in terms of the taste and tempo of its youth. Absolutely. I think that I think two areas that I highlight in the book that I really do believe are uh, representative of major cultural changes in China are, are food and sex. Two topics I think close to everyone's heart. Yeah, well, let, let's go. I mean, be, it, China is one of the biggest foodie nations on the globe. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And we don't normally think of China as a foodie nation. I think a lot of us imagine Chinese food and it's kind of like the stuff that we pick up on Sundays. Uh, and bring home. And um, that, you know, the Chinese food that we eat in the States, unfortunately, I hate to break it to everyone, is not Chinese food. I did not eat General Tso's chicken once. My friends who come from China to study abroad here and we go to like a normal takeout joint, they're like, uh, oh, I, I can't even relate to this stuff. What's so interesting about the foodie culture in China is that it's seen as on par with sex. And, and let me explain that a little bit, because it's a weird thing to say. It well, it is, it, isn't it? I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's seen as, it's like one of the most fundamental temptations. So in China, there's a saying, it means food and sex are human nature. And it's put in that order for a good reason. There are Chinese academics who believe that the fundamental difference between Eastern and Western culture is the difference between one is a food culture and one is a sex culture. One is driven by sex and one is driven by food. The West is driven by sex and China is driven by food and they're seen as equivalent temptations. The joke goes that in the Adam and Eve story, a Chinese Adam would have eaten the apple and then eaten the snake too. And Very so funny. the food, you know, I call it the Ur indulgence in China. It's sort of like the center of the Chinese pleasure center. And, um, but what it represents is something even larger. You know, there, if you look at like caloric intake over the last 60 years, it's, more, it's doubled. 
um, the amount people are eating. It's it's the way that they express love in China. In part, that comes from, you know, a culture of want. Remember, I mentioned starvation. Uh, yes. Decades ago, not centuries ago, decades ago. And so for for grandparents in China who survived that starvation and who are often in charge of raising their grandchildren, well, you know, the parents of the kids are out both working. Their way, it's a show-not-tell culture, so their way of expressing love for their grandchildren is to feed them more, which is why with a single-child population, you start to get a bit of an obesity trend uh, emerging. But food, so it's not just eating, it's also an expression of love, which I think we have in this culture as well. And talk about the sexual revolution in China, because this is a, a, a unique uh, area that I had not really paid any attention to. But in reading the book, um, you uh, point out some very interesting statistics about sexual experience. Yeah. So there's one of my favorite sayings in China is Jin Jiao Yo Jiu, Jin Jiao Zui. It means today we have booze, so today we drink. It's sort of an ancient way of saying YOLO, you only live once. There's this impulse of young people to enjoy themselves now. And food is part of that. Travel is part of that. And sex, which is typically seen as relatively taboo in China, traditionally, particularly post-Mao China, uh, is seen as a way that these young people can enjoy themselves. But before we start imagining sort of wild sex romps and, and kind of, uh, you know, multiple partners and, and, and these wild parties, uh, China's sexual revolution is sometimes called by Li Yinhe, one of China's best sexologists, someone I had the honor of meeting and interviewing, um, the extremely quiet revolution. So it's not having sex with everyone, it's having sex with someone. And it's not having sex uh, later, it's about having sex now. It used to be in 1985 that, that only 15% of the population had sex before marriage. Now that number is over 85%. And in cities and amongst the younger population, it's, around, it's upwards of 90s. So people are having sex now with someone instead of, a, instead of just saving it for later. They want to enjoy themselves now. Interesting. And how does that contrast with the statistics in America? Yeah. So, you know, one of the interesting things about the statistics in America is people, young people like Generation Z is actually having less sex now um, than even the millennial generation. So Gen Z is the generation that comes after mine. Um, but we still have, with that being said, we still have hookup culture in a way that there is not hookup culture in China. <laughs> Tinder. You know, I, I, I mean, that's I have, like the ultimate hookup culture, right? I mean, we have, I don't know, it's the ultimate. I haven't been, ever, you know, it, but it's definitely, you know, Tinder. And then the college system here, it's a lot about having parties and, and honestly trying to find a mate or mates over on any given night. I'm not saying it's all that way. I'm not saying all the kids are that way, but especially fraternity culture in the United States, there's no real equivalent to that in China. I commented that young, young men in China, you know, we, we associate sex with a certain machismo in the United States. We think of it, you know, more notches on the belt, right? It's a bit of a competition. Uh, and we see it that way. In China, young men often describe sex to me with, with a sort of awe. You know, it's this, it's this new, exciting, intimate thing that they can take part in. They've heard about it. They've read about it. Um, and they're looking to enjoin it. Uh, but they don't treat it quite as the numbers game that I find a lot of American young men do. And again, I'm not saying that, that your son is definitely doing that or whoever is listening, but it is much more part of our culture 
hookup culture and gameplay here in the United States than, than is in China. I love you use the word awe, especially relating to, to sex. Because I, mean, I think sex is pretty awesome, you know, and, and I'm old. So it's good to hear that young people are thinking are thinking similarly. Let's talk about homosexuality in China, because it really was um, or probably remains taboo culturally. But the reasons why are interesting. Sure. So I, I actually think homosexuality is a great foil for understanding China. It's a great inroad because the, the barriers to someone coming out of the closet in China are not sin. It's not religion, but rather it's tradition. So China does not have religion. China is not a religious country in the same way we are here, but it does have family. And in China, often what it means to be a good person and to lead a good life is to form a family. I talked earlier about Xiaoshun, about the want to be filially pious. A big part of being a good person, of being a young man, of being a young woman, is having kids. And so you start to see in the, in the gay community in China in particular – something called pianhun and xinghun. Pianhun means a sham marriage. It's a, it's a young man who know he's aware of his sexuality, he knows that he's not straight, he knows that he's gay, and he still enters into a heterosexual union primarily to appease his parents. It's estimated that about 80% of young gay men in China are entering into pianhun, into sham marriages. The other interesting phenomenon is what's called a xinghun. A xinghun means a shape marriage. Now, a shape marriage is also called a convenience marriage. It's a gay man and a, and a, and a, and a gay woman who enter into a marriage so that uh, it appears so that the shape of the marriage resembles any other marriage, and they basically get to uh, you know, get their parents off their back and get the community off their back about, you know, why aren't you marrying, or why aren't you marrying now? Why aren't you, why aren't you know, forming your family now? So those two really unique phenomenons that occur in China, and it's primarily because China doesn't have religion, but they do have family. Yeah, and and they will and they will create children. They will they will bear children, and they will carry on the family uh, uh, tradition and lineage. But it just takes this uh, arranged form. Exactly, and and it's sort of one of the interesting workarounds that I found in China because. You know, it's not the issue of your actual relationship, the relationship between two men. It's not the actual relationship. It's just the all right, two two young men can't produce a kid. But because that's the issue, there's there are workarounds in vitro fertilization. There, you know, they can find um, there are ways where the genetic material remains theirs, and so they are technically, you know, keeping the lineage alive. But they yes. don't have to wed a woman. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, it, it's sort of like lawyers speak almost with Confucianism, but the people are finding workarounds <laughs> and loopholes that allow them to still be good kids and good and, and, you know, good young Chinese men and women while also living true to their identity. We are nearly out of time. So we probably have really only one more talking point that we can get to because this, I'm fascinated by, by the, your book and the subject matter. And he, here's the thing. Chinese millennials have a tremendous appetite for Western products, but there's a caveat, right? There's a, there's a catch. Major catch. And that is they want to be respected for their differences. What does that mean? When I talk to American businessmen, a lot of them sort of describe this idea of, of someone in China who's like an American millennial, but just kind of like over there. There's this misconception that modernization 
inherently means westernization. That as China becomes richer, wealthier, uh, more modernized, they're inevitably going to want to become American. That's not true. This young generation, and, and this I think is one of the crucial differentiators of this young generation in China compared to the older generation in China, they're extremely proud of who they are. They've watched their country emerge from rags to relative riches in their lifetime. As recently as 1990, the per capita GDP was around 300 bucks. It's increased 25 times in their lifetime. They've watched their country change. They've watched their families change. They've watched their own path and the opportunities ahead of them change in their lifetimes on a pace and scale unmatched anywhere else in the world. And they're proud of that. So for people trying to market to China, for people trying to sell to China, absolutely, biggest market in the world. To learn more about Chinese millennials, Chinese culture in today's modern time, please read the book. I really urge you to check it out, Young China, How the Restless Generation Will Change Their Country and the World, by my guest today, Zach Dykwald. To learn more, please visit youngchinagroup.com, on Twitter at Zach Dykwald, and on Facebook, Zach period Dykewald. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are carrying on the conversation about millennials making a difference here and abroad. We're talking about motivated millennials. My next guests are two women in a trio of go-getters. Vivi Tomasi was born in Brazil. She grew up in Ecuador and later went on to film school at Chapman University's Dodge College of Film and Media Arts. Since graduating with a dual degree in television and broadcast journalism and PR and advertising, she has been working as a producer and host for a variety of TV programs. She currently produces and co-hosts an all-girl talk show, Get It Girl!, Vivi's partner in crime is Fiona Renee, who moved from London to Los Angeles. Alongside with acting, Fiona directs Immersive Theater. She's part of the Center Theater Group. She's a voiceover artist on networks like Freeform and teaches workshops on acting for immersive entertainment 
and VR. And I've got two of the girls in the house. Good morning, get it, girls. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Listen, I had the great pleasure of being with you on your show as sort of like the senior citizen of happiness. And now I (laughs) I get you girls on my show to talk about <laughs> being motivated millennia- millennials who are just crushing it. Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. Thank you for having us on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. So you are influencers. You are young, hip, savvy, educated, bright women who are setting the world on fire. And you're using social media as your platform. Talk a little bit about the power of this and what you've learned. Well, you know, the way that people define influencers right now um, are people who have a lot of following on social media platforms. And like, I'm not that person exactly, but what I do with my, with my, with my work and with Get It Girl is, well, we hope that we influence people, even though we don't, we're, you know, we're not bloggers and, you know, per se, or necessarily define ourselves as influencers, even though we hope to influence. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I think that these platforms that we have, that all you know, millennials have, that everybody have, but millennials are the ones who know how to manage it the best, you know, Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook, they are actually, they're great platforms to connect to people and to give people you know, powerful messages. Like what we try to do with Get a Girl is um, to empower women. And even though we do have some controversial topics sometimes, we also like to keep it fun and lighthearted. And, you know, the way that we talk to each other, like us, the three of us, you know, Fiona was was talking about how um, it's okay that we have different opinions all the time, but that we still know how to get along. And I think that's that's awesome. Like Fiona, like, I, think that's I love what you said. I, that's always the heart of Get It Girl is the three of us, um, and I can't be here today, but we definitely all come from very different backgrounds. We all, all are very opinionated, but all have very different opinions. And some of the funnest stuff is really getting to terms with things that we find are commonalities alongside our differences. And what I noticed, something that you, Lisa, kind of talked about in your book about uh, the guru, be your own guru. That's something that I think the Get It Girls are really big on promoting. As uh, as much as we want to say, yeah, we hope we influence people, uh, it's not for them to be influenced to be us or to be like us. It's more so right. um, an influence for them to find the authenticity in their self, be confident in self. And so, like you said, be their own guru, be the person that really helps themselves make the decisions, um, and then be yeah. confident in that as women. So hopefully... Hopefully that comes across too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what I appreciate about the three of you is that you are female voices that are really offering empowerment and self-growth or nurturing self-growth in younger girls. This is really important, especially when we have, you know, like the Me Too movement and what's going on in the media. It's a way for you to stand tall and support others in in, people, in in their optimistic growth. Definitely. I would assume that, yeah, I and, would assume and, that and people I think, really don't. Like, be, mm-hmm. Go ahead, Fiona. Sorry, Vivi, go ahead. No, no, you <laughs> go first. I was saying that people, uh, a lot of the time, find most of their growth through their village, through their community, through their family. And over the past 10 years, we've seen a lot of, we've seen the rise of a lot of stories that have uh, told us how to be ourselves, how to 
um, lead the pack and how to get on our own. But we haven't really been told how to take that authentic self and put it back into a pack to assimilate back into a community. And I think, you know, with women right now, we've been, you know, isolated in our homes or with the idea that we need to be with a man or any kind of stereotype that we've had in the past. And nowadays it's like, well, we have each other for sure. So let's just start from there and and kind of work ourselves to help each other figure out what we want individually, whether that's a partner, whether that's more of a career, whether that's children, what that really means to be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been, I think that like one of the most um, exciting aspects for me of, of this generation and what makes me so proud of and excited to be a millennial, it's, it's all the advancement that we've been getting and that we've been doing as women. I think that we've come along like we've 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 attained so many goals and right now it's moving so fast and we keep growing together and we have more of an understanding of how we can help each other, you know, yeah. like empowered women empower women right and so I think that this generation really understands that and really work towards that and you know that that makes me very happy because I think that our generation is the one that's going to make the biggest difference when it comes to um, female empowerment and and equal pay and equality you know gender equality and so um, I'm very I'm very excited to be part of this movement and and to see how how we grow together. One of the things that I observed amongst the three of you when I was with you on your show was that Get It Girl is focused on really about being our best selves, that you are all beautiful women. You're all highly educated women. You're hip, you're fashionable. (laughs) And yet the show is not about the softer side. The show is really about, you know, learning how to step into your own authenticity, to uh, use your voice constructively, to support women in becoming their best. And this is unique. It's unique, certainly when it comes to social media. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, we we love we love having um, and I think that what helps, like even though, yes, um, Anna, Fiona and I are, like she said, very opinionated and and we're strong women and we have strong personalities. But it's also like the guests that we have um, and who we interact with and the questions that we ask them and the stories that they have to tell also um, really contribute to the content um, of our, of our show. And so, um, you know, we, we, we have to give it up to, to them as well. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Here, 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 here. Fiona, talk a little bit about social consciousness and, and, and really some of the subject matters that you address on the show. I mean, overall, it, just coming from the idea of, you know, we're here as millennials and what that really means, there's a big generation um, range of what a millennial is. And there are older millennials and younger millennials. And as, you know, the past 30, 40 years have risen, the general consciousness of the world has changed to what, you know, what we define um, is okay or not okay. And we're we're obviously becoming more socially aware of what we are willing to accept and how what people define themselves as truly must be respected. And as we grow through that consciousness, I think what becomes really um, apparent is that we as people can no longer be offended why 
by what others may define themselves to be right or wrong for their perspective. And when we start thinking that way and we don't get so offended, just like on Get It Girl, us girls, I mean, we say stuff that the other one does blatantly not agree with. There's there's no point for us to be offended. If anything, that that gives us the opportunity to ask more questions. And so that's where our guests come in, like VB said. And I think socially we are getting there. But if we all make it a choice to become more aware and define ourselves by that open awareness, it really turns into questions instead of answers. We're going to yeah. jump off to a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with the Get It Girls. You can connect with Get It Girl TV on Facebook at Get It Girl TV, on Instagram at Get It Girl TV, and on the YouTube channel LATV Network, where Get It Girl can be seen, heard, and understood. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast with somebody you know who is young and wants to rock their lives because we're talking with two of the three Get It Girls today, Vivi Tomasi and Fiona Ray of Get It Girl TV. Ladies, before the break, we were talking about millennials making a difference, being motivated, being motivated for social change, being motivated for empowerment and self-growth. Talk a little bit about how the Get It Girls or how you um, champion people being involved with community-driven initiatives and nonprofits. Well, you know, just um, two weeks ago, we had uh, a whole episode about change and the change that you want to see in the world. And we had three different guests who were founders of three different um, organizations, nonprofits, um, and they all um, started these projects by themselves. 
um, for their community. And so, you know, really talking to them and, you know, following what they do and learning about their story and how they have impacted people around them, even if it's not on a huge scale. You know, we had one one girl come in. Her name is Chandler Kinney. She's also an actress on a Lethal Weapon. And she started a, a small project called Chandler's Friends just as a, a drive, um, giving um, blankets and food. And it became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and now she's starting a, a new STEM lab um, for kids. She's trying to raise money for that. Um, we also talked to um, a, a lady who represented the do-it-yourself girls, um, which teaches girls um, science, technology, engineering sk skills, and math. And we also had a, another guest talk to us about um, his foundation that he, you know, um, gets at-risk at, at youth through skateboarding and they teach them leadership skills. So, you know, just like putting like the, the light on, on these people and interviewing them about what motivated them to start this really motivates other people, too, and, and us as well. And to be part yes. of something that is for a greater good. You know, Fiona. Yeah, please. Yeah. I I remember that episode so well, and it was so amazing because that's one of the things that I love to talk about most, change. And, you know, what's so interesting is that the people who run and open these nonprofits, these community-based organizations to truly just help, one, they all have that innate feeling in their belly that it makes them feel good. Helping people makes you feel good. So that's something that I love to explore because it's not something that, you know, we should question. It's something that becomes innate to us. And secondarily, yeah. every single one of these people could be anybody. It isn't something that just because they maybe acted or, um, you know, was a singer, they did things that maybe some people listening to the podcast now say, I've never done, so I could never open a nonprofit or I could never run a leadership thing for my community. And what, what we've noticed on Get It Girl is that most of the people, the commonality is just passion. Um, something mm -hmm. that makes them feel good for something else, whether it's giving someone a warm meal, which everyone feels good to do, or, you know, providing a skate park, because that's what you wish you wanted when you were a kid. So there's exactly. all these different avenues, right, of wanting to create community and help. Um, and what I, you know what I learned recently, because I was looking to open my own nonprofit, and I've always been really scared of business, is that a nonprofit doesn't mean that you may not be able to pay your bills that way if that's all you invest in. That it can still help you live. The difference is, is that there are no owners. So it's not self-success, it's community success. And mm -hmm. in general, I mean, doesn't that sound great? Everyone's yeah. open a nonprofit. You Let's know, do I, it. I think that I think that one of the biggest like misconceptions, if you will, about the millennial generation is that it's a narcissistic uh, generation, you know, we're the selfie mm -hmm. generation. Um, and yeah, I do think that, you know, we are narcissistic in a way, but I, I also think that we are the most tolerant and the most socially conscious generation yet. And I think that we, a lot of, you know, critics of millennials, um, haven't seen it yet, but, uh, we are so passionate as Fiona says that we're creating this for a for change to make change because we're focused on that right now and so these are things that we're going to start seeing later on and maybe we yeah. won't be known as the selfie generation or the narcissistic generation we would be known as the tolerant you know socially conscious generation 
You know, it's interesting. I come to this conversation in a unique position because I'm a, the mother of millennials. So I see the development of narcissism that is a byproduct of the selfie generation. And then I see in my own children and young adults that I work with every day, the evolution with, with the developmental growth, right? So somebody moves yeah. through their 20s and into their 30s, the hope is that you move from that me, 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 it's all about me and what you think of me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how, how can I use my skills? How can I use my gifts and my voice and my influence to do yeah. something for the greater good? Yeah. And yeah, we, we are called the me, me, me generation. And you know, what? and I think that there's a, po there's a positive in that because I think that yes, we are focused on ourselves, but also when we implement that in our careers, it's because we are looking into meaningful careers. You know, we want our career, mm -hmm. like our passion to be in there. You know, we want there to be meaning in what we do. It's not about being in the same job for a decade or, you know, two decades anymore. And, and, you know, that's what's going to make you thrive. It's about putting what you believe in and your passion into what you do now. And so I think that that's, that's valid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I noticed that we are an also an instant gratification kind of generation. So that can kind of affect how we deem we deserve reward for the work that we've done. Um, but I agree with Vivi that there are a lot of like advancements of tolerance and acceptance and understanding, even with, um, you know, gender being an example, but how, yeah. and, and the rise of, you know, women. But at the end of the day, we all, we are all going to eventually disagree with someone fundamentally. It's going to come up. And what I love about our generation is that we are becoming, I hope, this is what I feel, is that we're becoming a braver generation to discuss the hard topics that our generations before uh, ignored or, you know, said, we'll talk tomorrow. And I think mm -hmm. because of our instant gratification, we're like, no, we want answers now. And that has gotten uh, the best of us sometimes. But if yeah. we can take step by step as opposed to just assume it's all going to come. If we can take the lessons that we learned from the generation before of taking our time, working hard, planting the seed, and step by step, and then we apply that to our passion and demand for answers, we will truly find a place where technology and global growth isn't scary, but instead can be something that really does connect us. It's just that quality yeah. connection, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to. I want to. I want to tap into the technology aspect because I think in in the millennial generation there is a fearlessness uh, for the most part with technology and um, the ability to see the world as the village. I think is working mm -hmm. in your favor. You know that um, um, millennials are not as xenophobic or fearful as their predecessors. And I, I, I want to know from your perspective, how you see technology allowing you to more fully explore the world and engage. Well, you know, I, uh, that's funny because I guess I am one of the fearful millennials when it comes to technology. So I, ah! I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a rarity here, but only because I am a very human person. Like I love, you know, talking in person. I love, you know, like that physical connection. And I think that 
technology has gotten in the way of that for our generation, the way that we communicate isn't as mm -hmm. valuable for, you know, for me, if this is just my opinion. Um, but it's inevitable, you know, it's inevitable that yeah. the way that we communicate right now is just with our phones or sometimes not even with words, with emojis, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and sometimes the only way that you can, um, a lot of people, like, like, uh, like younger people who I talk to about this, they're like, you know, but the only way for you to really show who you are is online. You know, it's, it's through, through text. Like oh. they, they, they feel safer that way. And, and even, I think that it's something that we have to get used to because it's, it's inevitable. You know, I see cultures like in Japan, for example, who are way ahead of us in that regard and how they have relationships with, you know, vir virtual beings and, you know, maybe <laughs> get me it, started on that yeah. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, you know, later on, who knows, I'm going to have a hologram for a boyfriend, <laughs> you know? So oh, no. I think that I have, like, I'm more um, skeptical when it, when it comes to the, the whole technology aspect. But I think that we also, we have to take the, the good with the bad. And uh, what we can do is use those platforms, um, you know, to help others to communicate our ideas um, and to, you know, try to, to keep a, a healthy discussion of, of yeah. all of the topics that are relevant for, for our generation. What do you, you think, you know, Fiona? It's funny, I, I'm sitting here and it's a podcast, so I'm like, don't interrupt, Fiona. Come on, Fiona, learn how to, not to interrupt. <laughs> but there were moments where I wanted to initially, because I disagreed, jump in. But as I listened more... <laughs> By the time you got to the end, Vivi, I agree with you. <laughs> and, uh, hey, hey, it's, it's happened more than once. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Um, but that being said, I think that she's right, that there is, um, there is something that's happened where we have uh, made uh, technology an excuse for the lack of communication. We made our busy schedules an excuse to use technology as um real communication when we can all agree, and I do agree with you, Vivi, but there's nothing like sitting with someone and looking them in the eye, and there never will right. be anything other than that. But um, I, what I was saying earlier about really taking our steps and learning from our generation before about that, that's what we did with technology. We took it, and we, we instead of that, we ran. We ran, and we were like, let's make, 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 and now we've got Apple, and we've got iPhone Xs and thousands of things. But I'm a bit of a tech geek when it comes to the VR world and the immersive world. I love video games. And what I've noticed is that the storytellers, the people who make the narratives of the movies that we love, and then the programmers, the people who really understand how to create worlds and algorithms, those two people are finally coming together. Before, they never sat at the same table at lunch. But finally, yes. these two people are coming together, and we are finally learning to see what that can do for us, and it is scary. So when we talk about fearlessness, I believe that we are getting braver. We are a brave society of external fear. But now with the rise of technology meeting creativity, that innovation is making us go, what is internal fear? And that's why being selfish, like Vivi said, that selfie society, there's a selfishness that we need right now to internalize the real crap going on instead of externalizing <laughs> everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Um, I hear you. But I think it's great. I think technology is, I mean, it's inevitable, like she said. It's absolutely inevitable. So what can we adapt and what can we learn and what can we make to decide the life we live? Because we are the creators of this world, and that that's what tech, tech people will tell you. They make worlds every day for video games, so they should be the ones that are helping make this one. Yeah. Well, ladies, we are nearly out of time, and I want to say that I love the world that you have created with Get It Girl. Um, <laughs> it's available on the LA TV network on YouTube, and I want to thank you for being with me today, Vivi Tomasi and Fiona Renee, and the third uh, partner, the third girl Anna in this Marte. gig is Anna Marte, who couldn't be with us today, but she's with us in spirit because yes. she's awesome. <laughs> You can connect with Get It Girl TV on Facebook at Get It Girl TV, on Instagram at Get It Girl TV, and on the YouTube channel LA TV Network, where Get It Girl can be seen, heard, and understood. Thanks, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. Come back. Come back and hang out. I want to talk more about this. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) All right. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Slipers-Kamen and my guests today, Zach Dykewald, Vivi Tomasi, and Fiona Renee wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.